Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to be an instrument by whom the Holy Spirit will work to reveal Christ unto your people. We, we, we want to see Jesus. That's our prayer. That's the heart. That's our cry. This morning we want to see Jesus because to see him is to be changed forever. To see him is to be blessed. To see him is to be healed. To see him is to be delivered. Ah, to see him is to prosper. We want to see Jesus, Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding and let us see him in your word and let us see him in one another. In Jesus' name. Say, Lord, thank you. I want to see you. Holy Spirit, reveal him to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you uh, this morning. Um, I'm still dealing with the issue of worldliness and sin, but I, I want to uh, uh, provide, I believe, an answer or remind you, because I've said many of these things before you, of the provision that God has made for our victory over worldliness, over the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so here's the question I'm going to be addressing in particular, and I'm going to seek to answer this question. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? That is, should we continue to live in sin, to practice sin, so that the grace of God might be magnified? Uh, of course, your instinctive answer is to say no. But let me, let, me, let me share with you the background behind that question. You see, Paul wasn't just, just asking a rhetorical question that did not have any connection to reality. The fact is, there were many who had heard Paul preach the gospel of grace as revealed to him. It meant the gospel of the forgiveness of our sins, that because of what Christ did, we are totally forgiven people. Christ has done away with sin once and for all. And all of those who are in Christ are forgiven. They are forgiven people of their sins. They're righteous. They're holy. You know, uh, past, present, and future. Christ has dealt with all of our sins if we're in him. So people hearing that accused Paul of promoting a gospel that would encourage sin. And so Paul is aware of that false accusation, and he needs to correct it. Paul was also aware that there were people present in that church and there are people present today who when they hear the gospel of grace because they don't fully understand it, distort it into thinking, ah, since God indeed forgives me of all my sins apart from my works in Christ Jesus, all of my sins are forgiven. Therefore, they use that to justify a life of sin. They use that to make an excuse from themselves to continue to sin. And Paul is addressing both, both groups. He's addressing those who try to use grace to justify their sinful living. And he also wants to address those who wrongly accuse people like him who preach the grace of God in its fullness of encouraging sin. 
And so that's why he asks himself this question, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? He intends to spend the entire chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 refuting that, that proposition. Amen. Proving it to be not true and showing why this is nonsensical. This is absurd that anybody would think that the message of grace is compatible with a life of sin. He's going to show you why that cannot be. And he begins by asking this question, how can we who are dead to sin living in it? How can you be dead to something and still be alive to it at the same time? That is impossible. You're either dead or you're alive. You can't be both dead and alive at the same time. And so Paul says, how can we? Who's the we he's talking about? He's talking about every believer. He says, how can we who are in Christ, who are in fact dead to sin, how is it that we can then choose to live lives of sin? And of course, the answer should be obvious. It's impossible. But he's going to go on to show you now why that is impossible, why that kind of thinking is absurd and completely inconsistent, and why if you think that, it, it demonstrates that you don't know some things that you should know. And if you only knew some things about the gospel of grace, you will understand that that question is, is totally unthinkable. And that conclusion is completely unacceptable. Are you hearing me? So we're going to look at this. Again, what's the rationale? What's the thinking? Well, some people actually thought, and maybe some people think today, that, well, if I am saved, and I know I'm saved by grace through faith, my sins are all forgiven, Right? because of Jesus and not because of me, apart from my works, my salvation is not based upon my works, it's by grace through faith, then you know what? If I actually live in sin and yet know that God does not condemn me and cast me into hell because of my sins, though I deserve them, I deserve to be sent in hell. Wow, that would magnify the grace of God. That would show you how gracious God is. You mean God is not going to send this person to hell? Wow. So their, their, their rationale is, well, then maybe it's a good thing. Why don't we go ahead and sin some more so that God's grace can be on display and people can really marvel at a God that is so gracious that he would justify the ungodly. That's the way they were thinking. And it's, it's, like, it's, it's like this. The rationale is, when you walk into your bedroom during the day and the sun is out, it's a, it's a bright day and the, and the sun is shining, when you walk into your bedroom, even if your lamp or, your, or the light bulb is on, you hardly notice it. Why? Because it's all this light, the light from the light bulb is not very prominent. But if it was night and your room was dark and you walked in and somebody turn the light on, the light from that same bulb all of a sudden will become very prominent. And so the darkness magnifies the light. And that's the rationale. Okay, the darker our lives, the more we can magnify the grace of God. It's amazing how people think, right? But Paul says, God forbid, in verse 2. So let's start at, ch at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Shall we continue to live in sin, practice sin, make sin a way of life so that God's grace might be magnified in our lives? That's the question. Next verse. Certainly not. Everybody say that. 
Now, now, the King James says, God forbid somebody else perish the thought. In reality, in Greek, Paul is coming as close to cussing <laughs> as you can without actually cussing. If Paul was a cussing man, he would have used some other terms. But the point is, this is completely unacceptable. God forbid, perish the thought, this can never be. How shall we? Who shall we? Every believer. He's not talking about an elite group of very special people within the body. No, that we is inclusive of all believers. Every man or woman who is saved, who is born again, who is in Christ. Paul is declaring that we all have died unto sin. We have died unto sin's power, unto, unto sin's reign, unto sin's rule, unto sin's dominion. Our relationship with this thing called sin has come to an end. And that is true of every believer. And Paul is saying, how can it be so that people whose relationship with sin has come to an end, people who are no longer under the dominion control of sin, people who have been set free from the dominion of sin, people who are dead to the rule of sin, how is it possible that they who are dead to sin will continue to live as under sin or live in it. Doesn't mean we don't sin, but we can't live in it. Why? We are dead to it. That's, that's, that's the question, okay? And again, he's going to spend the rest of this chapter proving his point. Okay? Let's go to the next verse. Or do you not know? Say, no. Now, it's very critical. Paul is saying here, every believer needs to know the doctrines that he's about to share, which are the doctrines of grace. And if you do not know this, then you reach these wrong conclusions. So people who say, let's sin so grace can abound, people who say, it's okay to sin because I'm forgiven, these people lack knowledge. They lack understanding. And so Paul is saying, for you to say this must be because you don't know certain things. You don't know what I've been teaching. You don't know the doctrines of grace. If you knew the doctrines of grace, you would never reach that conclusion. And those who accuse us, who teach grace as we do, of promoting sin, that's the same reason. They don't know as they ought to know or they're refusing to pay attention to the things that they do know concerning the doctrines of grace. If we're going to overcome the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, if we're going to live victoriously over sin, then, believers, it's not enough for Jesus to have done what he's done by grace for us. It is important that we know what he has done understand what he has done and believe what he has done. Our failure, our struggle, our, our continual defeat 
by sin is due to a lack of knowledge of what Christ by grace has accomplished for all of us. And so Paul is correcting the wrong accusations and the wrong assumptions concerning grace by asking a question. Do you not know these things? Because if you did, you won't be thinking this way, talking this way, and you certainly won't be behaving this way. So may God give me knowledge, and God give you knowledge. May all of us grow in grace, the Bible says, and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to grow in the knowledge of Jesus is to grow in the knowledge of his grace. All spiritual growth is dependent upon you knowing the doctrines of grace. If you try to build a victorious Christian life without knowing these things, you will find yourself in one or two camps. Either you will find yourself in the camp of those who are proud because they believe that they are living holy by their determination to keep the law. Or you will, you will land in the camp of those who are suffering from guilt and who are discouraged because they will become so mindful of their failures. So either you become more proud because you're not grounded in the revelation of the doctrines of grace, or you become more guilty, more condemned, more discouraged because you're not grounded in the revelation of grace. Either emotions will strengthen sin in your life. Either emotion will weaken you in your resistance to sin. Either emotions, pride or guilt, will actually lead to more sinning. Hmm? So you want to build your life of holiness, overcoming the world, on the knowledge of the grace of God, the knowledge of the doctrines of God's grace. That's the foundation. If you try to build without laying that foundation, it's like a person wanting to build a, a tall skyscraper and neglects the foundation. It's so much in a hurry to complete the building that he or she spends very little time laying the foundation. That would be a dangerous skyscraper. I wouldn't want to get into that thing because it can collapse any day. It won't take much of a storm before it collapses. No, if you intend to build something that is going to last and be strong and can handle the wind and the pressure and the storms of life, I can handle the temptations and the trials, you've got to make sure you take time to lay the foundation. And the foundation that you are to lay are the doctrines of grace which Paul is about to expound upon. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. So now that we understand how important it is that we know, I pray that you commit to knowing. And if you commit to knowing, you would realize you got to do more than listen to this sermon once. Seriously. If you commit to knowing, if you know how important knowing these things are, is, you would make it a priority to know. You won't play with knowledge. The knowledge of the grace of God, the knowledge of the doctrines of grace. 
Because until you know them, you cannot believe them. And if you don't believe them, you can't walk in them. For the just shall do what? Live by faith. Faith in what you know. You can't have faith until you know. Are you here? Okay. So now let's continue to read the next verse. Oh, let's, no, let's stop here. He says, do you not know? What are you supposed to know? He says, you need to know this, that as many of us as were what? Baptized into Christ Jesus. As many of us, that refers to who? All of us. This is not a special group. If you are not baptized in Christ Jesus, you're not saved. And if you're not saved, it's because you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. If you're saved, guess what? You were baptized into Christ Jesus. And in order to baptize you into Christ Jesus, he had to first forgive you your sins. Because he couldn't baptize you into Christ until your sins were forgiven. That's why pardon is so critical of all your sins. Because it is the pardoning of all your sins that qualifies you to be baptized into Christ. You can't be baptized into Christ until your sins are all forgiven. Are you hear me? That's why the teaching that Jesus' blood covers all our sins, past, present, and future, is so critical. Because that is the requirement for being qualified to be baptized into Christ. Now, what does it mean to be baptized into Christ? It simply means to be placed in him. To, to be put in him and joined to him. To be made a part of him. To be included in him. You are baptized, you are put in him. And when you are put in him and joined to him, then everything that becomes true of him becomes true of you. Again, this is the doctrine of grace. You've got to understand. These are things you've got to know. If you don't know this, then you're going to be building on a foundation that is not able to sustain you. A foundation that will result in either pride or guilt and strengthen sin in your life. And that's not what you want. You want to be victorious over sin, right? You want to live a holy life. You don't want to be worldly. So you've got to build on the right foundation. And so one of the things you've got to know, say, I've got to know this. I am included in, I have been placed inside, and joined to Christ. And what does that mean? It means then that everything that is true of Christ has become true of me. Everything that happens to Christ happens to me. And his relationship to sin is my relationship to sin, because I'm in him. I have a $5 bill in this hand. I have an envelope in this one. Now, as long as the $5 bill is here, let me put the $5 bill here. As long as the $5 bill is here and the envelope is here, they're two separate things set apart. What happens to this one has no impact upon this. This envelope goes up, the $5 bill still is here. This envelope falls down, $5 bill still is here. No impact. That's how you were before salvation. Christ is here, you're here. Christ is here, you're here. Because you were separate. But salvation is about union. Hey. 
Amen. Victory over sin is accomplished through our union with Christ. So, when you came to Jesus, he's already paid the price for all your sins. So guess what? God legally pardoned you of all your sins. And then, you, do you know what immediately happened? The Holy Spirit baptized you. Into Christ. And then he sealed you. Oh my goodness. This is why you are safe and secure in Christ Jesus. That's why you can get up every morning and know you're going to heaven. <laughs> yeah. Bo, bo, bo. That's why you can get up every morning and knowing God's on, on your side. This is why you can get up every morning and know God will hear your prayer. This is why you can get up every morning and know wherever he is, you are. Wherever you are, he is. Why? Once your sins were all forgiven, the Holy Spirit baptized you into Christ. This $5 bill has been baptized into this envelope. It is one with the envelope now. And guess what happens? Because it's in the envelope and one with the envelope, everything now that happens to the envelope becomes true of this $5 bill. When this envelope goes down, the $5 bill, because it's in the envelope, shares the same experience of the envelope and goes down with it. When the $5 bill or the envelope rises, rises, get what happens to the $5 bill? It rises. And when this envelope ascends, the $5 bill ascends, and when this envelope rests, sits, the $5 bill sits. Guess what? My envelope just fell. The $5 bill fell with it. That's baptism. Every single believer has been baptized by the Holy Spirit, which means you have been put in Christ. And this is something you need to know. Therefore, you need to deduce that everything that is true of Jesus is not true of you. Amen. When Jesus went down, you went down in him. When Jesus rose up, you rose up in him. When Jesus ascended, you ascended in him. And where Jesus is seated, that's where you are in him. Do you hear that? You were baptized into Christ Jesus. Therefore, we deduce that we were baptized into his death. In other words, since we were baptized, included in him, we were definitely included in, joined to him when he died. Listen to me. Since you're in him, everything that is true of him happened to you and me spiritually. And we're going to see some other things that are true of you because they're true of him. You're going to learn some things that has happened to you that you have no memory of. 
You cannot recall. You, you don't feel it. And sometimes you feel just the opposite. You're up here, but you're feeling like you're down here. But how many of you know we don't go by our feelings, we live by faith? Are you listening to me? But because you are included in him, you have been included. In other words, you participated in his death. When he died, you died. Yet you have no memory of it. But because you have no memory of it, does it mean it's not true? Let me ask you a question. How many of you were born? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you were born. Now, see, some of your hands not raised. You got me worried now. Uh, I hope we don't have some spirits here. How many of you were born? Raise your hand. All right, that's better. I can feel more peace. Otherwise, we have to stop doing some warfare now. <laughs> but all of you were born physically. Do you remember? Do you have any memory of your birth? But you testify, and you are convinced. You have no doubt that on a certain day you were born. I was born on September 24th. I have no memory of that birth. I have no memory of saying one thing. When I came out, I know I shouted, I don't remember that. I have no memory, but I was born. And before I was born and before you were born, we spent some hours in the birth canal. Do you remember the time you spent in your, in your mom's, in your mother's birth canal? Some of you for hours. Some people, much, I think even longer days sometimes. Some of you didn't want to come. <laughs> you said, in this world we have tribulation. Let me stay right here. <laughs> but you spent hours in the birth canal. You got no memory of it. Did you travel through your mother's birth canal? Most of us spend nine months in her womb. We had a lot of experiences in her womb. A lot of experiences. Yet not one of us can remember one thing that happened to us in our mother's womb. No memory of our physical birth. Yet we know that we were born that we went through the birth canal, that we spent nine months, we don't know it because we feel like it. We don't know it because we remember it. We know it because the person who was there all the time, who observed it and felt it, and who participated in it, and who made it happen, told you, I gave birth to you on September 24th. 19 whatever. <laughs> Say hallelujah. So you, you, you know things that you have no memory of, but they are true. And whether you feel like it or not, you cannot reverse the fact. You spent nine months in your mother's womb. You came through the birth canal. You were born. And your feelings, emotions, memories have nothing to do with it. They are facts, they are objective facts, and you know it because somebody who was there, who participated, and who you can trust told you so. Hear me, have you been born again? Do you have any memory, any experience of the actual new birth? 
Do you know what your spirit went through in order to be the new creature you are today? You have no memory of that. You have no emotion to go with it. But just because you don't remember it and have no emotion to go with it, does it mean it is not so? I come to you this morning to say to you, even as your mother testified to your physical birth, the Holy Spirit. I said the Holy Spirit who was present the day you were conceived spiritually in the womb of God. The Holy Spirit who was there all through that process, who observed it, who participated in it, who made it happen, who witnessed the day that you were born spiritually and heard you say, Abba, that was your first cry. Abba, that was your first cry. Abba, Father. He testifies that you are not who you were, but now you are a new creature. He testifies that he put you in Jesus. He testifies that when Christ died, you died. I got no feelings. I got, yeah, but you died. Was I born? Yes, I died. How do I know? He told me the old man was crucified. to death and a new man came to life no feeling no emotion but facts I'm sharing this with you because hear me this is God's way this is the new covenant this is the new testament way of giving us victory over sin breaking the power of sin God's way is to do what he's done in Christ and then say to you Take your mind off your personal memories and experiences. Stop looking for experiences and feelings and memories to confirm reality. Just like you don't need any memory of being in the womb to know that you were in the womb, you need no memory or experience of the things that happened to you spiritually when you were born again to know these are facts. God says, take your mind off of your feelings. Your feelings don't change anything. Take your mind off your memory. They don't change anything. What I'm about to tell you are spiritual facts. These are objective realities concerning Christ. And because I have put you in him, whatever is true of him is actually true of you. Whatever he went through, you went through. And now you need to know it that you might believe it. Know these facts. Then, recognize that because these are true of Jesus and I'm in him, they're true of me. And because they are true of me, therefore I can live this way. I can do this. Skip all the way to Romans six eleven. Two times two is what? Four times five is what? When you're sick, is it true? When you're happy, is it true? When you're asleep, is it true? When you're angry, is it true? It's an objective reality, and your emotions have nothing to do with it. What Christ has done, and his relationship to sin, 
and your relationship to him are facts that your emotions and your feelings cannot change. So in verse 11, let's read, Paul says in verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be what? Dead indeed to sin, but what? Alive to God. Remember, he's, he's still trying to demonstrate that that accusation that the gospel or the doctrines of grace encourage sin, or that you can use grace to justify sin. He's still doing that. But this is the first time he gives a command. He has used all of the first five chapters up to verse 11. He has not issued one command. All he's been doing was doctrine. He was making sure the foundation of the doctrines of grace was well laid because that foundation needs to be solid before you start building. The problem is we jump over that and we go straight to this. And we tell people, live all day. Verse 11, verse 12, do not present your body to sin. Do not let uh, uh, sin. Those are commands. But we jump to verse 11, 12, and 13 without having spent the time laying the foundation and getting to know the doctrines of grace, which are the foundation upon which this thing can happen. Again, to repeat, if you try to do this without laying the foundation properly, properly, you end up being proud or you end up being guilty. Both of those things will strengthen sin in you and make sin even more, more prominent in your life. Go back to verse 11. Likewise, you also do what? Reckon, reckon. Now, we, we will look at some of the things that he said before, but I wanted to get here first, and then we'll go back. Reckon, what does that word mean? It means to, not, it doesn't mean to pretend. It doesn't mean pretend this is true in order that it might be true. No, reckon means con consider this as, as true. Reach this conclusion. So Paul is saying, in light of all that I've been saying up to verse 11, concerning Christ and your union in him, and where he is in relationship to sin, and therefore where you are now in him in relationship to sin, in light of all of this, reach this conclusion. Oh, you didn't hear me. I want to ask you, have you reached this conclusion? Because this is the foundation upon which you build your holy life. Reach this conclusion. What conclusion? That you are indeed, in Liberia, in Liberia we say, for true. This is for true. This is really so. This is not joke. This is real. Say, this is for true. True, true. You are indeed dead to sin. You say, but I don't feel dead to sin. Or when I'm being tempted here, were you born? Yeah. Did you spend nine months in your mother's womb? Yeah. Do you feel like you did? No. Reckon, in spite of your feelings, in spite of your experiences, in spite of the fact that right now you may be struggling with sin and not doing very well. He's saying, if you want to overcome, 
You got to begin by reckoning. You got to begin by considering everything that has been said concerning grace and then reach this conclusion. You, in spite of your feelings and experiences, are indeed dead to sin, dead to its rule, its power, its dominion, dead to it. Your relationship to sin is broken. You are a slave to it no more. You are dead to sin, and you are what? Alive, alive to God in. You see, you're in him. And since Christ is alive to God, you are in Christ, you are what? Alive to God forever. Because Christ is alive to God forever. And since Christ is dead to sin, You are forever dead unto sin. Why? You are inside the envelope. And you are sharing the experiences of Christ. His experiences have become yours. Now, you see, there are two parts of the gospel. And those who accuse and charge the message of grace with promoting sin only focus on one half of the gospel. And because they focus only on one half, they reach that conclusion. But the gospel of grace has two parts to it. Here's the first part of the gospel of grace. Jesus Christ died indeed unto sin for you. Say amen. That's the first part of the gospel. Jesus Christ died indeed unto sin. Sin no longer has dominion over him. That's why the verses before says, it's true of Jesus. He died indeed to sin. And he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. So now he's also alive to God forevermore. He will never die again. He will never die again. Death has been conquered. Sin has been conquered. He'll never be under the rule or reign of sin again. Not on the cross. He's never going to come under sin's domain again. Never. He's never going to live in the realm of sin anymore. He's alive. Now that's one half of the gospel. And that half of the gospel is enough to get you saved. My goodness, if you believe he died for your sins and he arose so your justification is alive and you believe that, that will get you saved. That will get, get you into heaven. But you don't just want to get to heaven. You want heaven coming into you. My God, you don't want to wait until you get to heaven. You want to start experiencing heaven here. Did you hear me? You don't want to wait to go to God. You want God to live his life through you now. You want to experience abundant life now. You want to experience victory over sin now. And here's the second part of the gospel that is not preached by those who accuse those of us who preach grace of promoting sin. Or they don't know the implications or they don't understand it. Here's the second part. It's not only that Jesus died in Jesus' sin, but that in him you, I, died to sin. Which means... I have no relationship with sin, which means sin's dominion over you and me 
is pro- broken. Which means when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says, don't you know that when he was crucified, your old man was crucified with him? That's the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace says Christ didn't want to die for you. But my goodness, the old person, the old man was also on that cross in him. And when he died, the old person died with him. You say, but I don't remember, I don't feel it. Ah, you spent nine months in your mother's womb, right? You died, you were crucified, the old man was put to death. When you have time, read the chapter, you will see it's there. You were crucified, put to death. That is a fact. That word crucified, or that you died, it's the aorist tense. And it means it happened once, it was final, it never needs repeating. You were, you died, and you are dead. You are not dying. He didn't say, reckon yourself to be dying every day to sin. That's not what he said. He didn't say, oh, reckon, oh, you got to crucify your, 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 yourself every day. That's not what he said. He said, you are dead. He says, the old person was crucified. It's done. It's finished. So stop trying to resurrect him. Every day you resurrecting him and then you crucify him. You resurrect him. No, he only, Jesus only died once. My goodness, and your death in him once was enough. The old man is dead. The old man. You say, Bishop, who is the old man you keep talking about? Who is this old man? You. But it's you as you were before you got saved. The old person is you before you were born again. The old person is the person you were in Adam. You know when you came out of your mother's womb, that you. Spiritually, who was in Adam and who was dead in sin and trespasses, who possessed the Adamic nature, who was a slave to sin, whose God or whose father was the devil. That was you and me. We all came into this world, the old man bound and enslaved by sin, helplessly. Sin dominated us, ruled us, and made us do things we didn't want to do. And when we wanted to serve God, sin didn't allow it because sin had a hold on old man, Darlingston. But on the cross, old man DJ, old man Darlingston, Amen. That man I used to be in Adam, that man that was bound by sin, that man that was a slave to the demonic nature, that man that couldn't help but sin because that was who he was. At his very core, he was a sinner. That man was put on the cross in Christ. And when Christ was crucified, he was in Christ and he was crucified. And when Christ died, he gave up the ghost. And just in case you don't believe he really died, you know some people say Jesus didn't die on the cross. Paul went on to say, not only was this old man crucified, he says, when Christ was buried, we were baptized into his burial. So we were what? Buried with him 
through baptism. So now, now why, why, is, why does the apostle feel he needs to break in the barrier of peace? Just in case somebody still thinks the old man isn't dead. Because hear me. When a person dies, for a few days, we're still in denial sometimes. Some of us who believe in resurrection, we're kind of still hoping that they will resurrect. But when that person is put in the grave, and the dirt is put there and he's buried, all of us leave the cemetery knowing he's dead for real. We're not going to see him again on this side. It's over. He no longer exists. I can't call him anymore. I will never be able to talk to him anymore. He'll never be able to respond to you anymore. He is dead. So burial is the final proof that everybody has concluded that this man is dead. So Paul said, just in case you doubt that the old person that you used to be in Adam is dead, let me give you some additional facts. Not only did he die, he was also buried. Come on, say hi. Say hallelujah. So that old person is gone. He is no longer going to be around to be a problem for you when you decide you want to live a holy life. He's out of the way. God has removed him. Hallelujah. So you hear me? Don't just preach Christ died indeed under sin and say that's grace. No, that's half of the grace message. The second half, and this is what makes it impossible for those who are saved by grace to then choose to live a life of sin. Because God didn't just deal with a product, he, de- he dealt with the producer. <laughs> you didn't hear me? He didn't just stop, you know, let's get rid of these, 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 these things. He got rid of the factory. Are you hearing me? That old man was what? The factory. He was put to death. He's gone. And it didn't stop. But don't just stop with you were dead. Because he didn't, didn't just stop there. He says, reckon yourself dead to sin. Verse 11. And do what? Alive unto God. So there's a new person now. The old person is dead, but Ephesians says, there's a new man. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. So the old person is gone, dead, buried. He was your problem. As long as he lived, you were a slave to sin. You could not live holy. You were bound because you had the very nature of sin in your spirit. But once God put him to death and buried him, got him out of your way, Then the Bible says, when Christ arose, remember what's true of him. The Bible says he came out of the grave to walk in newness of life. So when Christ came alive, a new person came out of that grave in him. Because while he was in that grave, God was doing something. Were you born? Did you spend nine months in your mother's womb? Do you remember? You don't remember when you were in the grave with Jesus? In the womb? Oh my goodness. 
Oh, la, 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 blah, 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 blah. David said that the Lord fashioned him in his mother's womb. Oh, my goodness, God fashioned you in Jesus' womb. He was fashioning you in Jesus' womb. All of us who would believe were being fashioned in Jesus' womb, brought together spiritually, made new, made partakers of his nature. And when Jesus Christ came out of the grave, the Bible says we came up in him, no longer the old person. Now we are new creatures. We have nothing in common with the old person. The old person and the new person are as different as night and day. Nothing similar. The old person loves sin, this new person loves righteousness. The old person loves the world, this new person loves God. Are you hearing me? This, this, this old person was a son of perdition. My goodness, we are the sons and daughters of God. This old man partook of the endemic nature. This new person partakes of the nature of Christ. We are new. We are completely different. Our spirits are brand new. And now our desires are to do the things that please God. This new man loves God. This new man loves the things of God. This new man hates sin. This new man hates anything spotted by the world. Two new people. And so the question is, how can a person who is born of God, sharing the nature of Christ, loving God and loving the things of God, how can such a person choose to live a life of sin? Paul said, that's, that's, that's completely nonsensical, completely unreasonable. It's absurd that you would think it's even possible. Are you hearing me? Hallelujah. And so these are the doctrines of grace that make a life of sin unreasonable, illogical, absurd, and to a degree really impossible for a man or woman who is born of God to choose to live in sin. He has fundamentally been transformed. And now he's able to live a life of holiness. And that's why after he says reckon, then the next verse, look at the next verse, verse 12. Then he says, do not let sin reign. You see, you got to first consider all that has been said and be grounded in the doctrines of grace. He says, once you know that, then you got a reason to live holy. But not only do you have a reason to live holy, you now have the ability, the power to live holy. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Next verse. And do not present your, your members as instruments of righteousness. You see, now you have a choice. You, as a believer, you can still respond to sin. Sin isn't gone. Sin is still able to tempt you, but sin is not in you anymore. Sin tempts you from outside and appeals to your body. Are you hearing me? But now you have the ability to say no. So any believer who is sinning, you're doing it not because you have to. You're doing it because you just choose to. Because you see, this is what happens. When a person dies, death brings an end to their addictions. I mean, if you're addicted to alcohol, you just can't pass up a bottle. Every time you see alcohol, you want it, and you will drink it until you're drunk. The minute you die, that addiction to alcohol comes to an end. 
you can bring all the alcohol you want and put it to the nose of the man who's dead, he's not going to be tempted. Death brings an end to the addictions. If he's addicted to pornography, let him die. And you can bring all the pornography on the internet, and he will not respond at all. Why? Death brings an end to his addiction. Hear me. The old person was addicted to sin. And he lived in you. But when God put him to death, your addiction to sin came to an end. And this new man is not addicted to sin. This new man is addicted to righteousness. And that's why you got to work hard to sin, willfully. You got to work, you got to go against everything that you are to live in sin. And I, 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 I'm yet to find a man who is truly born again who can say he can have peace and rest while sinning. You cannot do it because your spirit is addicted to righteousness and when you are choosing to live in sin, you are acting contrary to who you are. So what Paul is saying here when he says do not present and let this, you know what he's saying? It's like you saying to a grown man who's acting like a baby, stop acting like a baby. You are a man, now act like a man. You know some grown men who act like babies? Does that mean they're babies? No, it just means here's a grown man acting like a baby. So you say to that grown man, stop acting like a big baby. You are a man, act like a man. That's what Paul is saying here. You are dead to sin, you are alive to God, and if you are practicing sin, you need to stop it and start to live and act like who you are. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here's the answer then. The answer is, if you and I are going to live a holy life, we need to understand, know the doctrines of grace. We need to know four things. One, that we are, well five. One, that because of Jesus' death, we are pardoned of all our sins. Two, that having been pardoned of all our sins, we have now been qualified to be placed inside of Jesus. We're in the envelope, the envelope is sealed. Three, everything that happens to Jesus and is true of Jesus now is true of us because we're in him. Are you hearing me? Everything. And then lastly, what do I need to do? I need to reckon. Not pretend it's so, so it can be so, but conclude that it is so. These are facts, whether I feel them or not. And because these are facts, therefore, I am going to reckon myself this way, and therefore, I am not going to yield my members to sin, and therefore, I'm going to present my bodies to God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Did you receive something? Several times in this chapter, Paul said, know ye not, know ye not, know ye not. Brethren, you need to know these things. We've preached a lot of messages along this line. Not too long ago, I did a whole series on, who you, on, on knowing who you are. It's the same thing. Go back and listen to these things until you know them. And then, once you know them, keep them before you. That's what it means. 
reckoning these things to be true. No matter what you feel, remember you spent nine months in your mother's womb. No matter what you feel, remember that you are dead to sin, you're alive to God. So, now because of who you are, therefore live this way. Now, because we are still in progress, we are not going to become sinless yet in terms of our activities. But if we make these things our reality and we keep them before them, we will become more and more like Jesus was and will live more and more like him on this life until the day he comes when this very body of sin will be taken away and we'll get a brand new body in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. Raise your hands to heaven. Just begin to thank God. And if you're watching where you are, I want you to start to thank God where you are and begin to reaffirm the truth that you heard. Begin to say, I know. In fact, let's say that. Say, I know. I am in Christ Jesus. What is true of him is true of me. I know I was crucified. The old person, the old man was crucified with him. And that man has died. I know he was buried, and therefore, he is no longer a problem for me, and I am no longer a slave of sin. I am free. See, I know I'm alive to God. I'm alive to God. I have his nature. I'm alive to God. I love the things God loves. I hate the things God hates. I'm alive to God. I'm alive to righteousness in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I would not present my bodies to sin anymore. I will present my body to God to be an instrument of righteousness in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.